Well, if you are new to us, at least uh, uh, new in the last few weeks, you are entering into a sermon series entitled Vital Worship, where we have been exploring the various elements of our worship service, what we as God's people do when we gather on a Sunday morning. Uh, You've got it as an insert in your bulletin, the order of worship, and we're working our way through the various elements there, the different parts, and discovering why we do what we do when we gather as God's people. Looking at this worship as vital, on the one hand, because trying to better understand why it is central to our lives as followers of Jesus, but also how it is life-giving, vital in that sense as well, life-giving in that it informs our lives of worship as we go forth from here this afternoon. So far we have looked at the call to worship, the confession of sin, the assurance of pardon, the giving of tithes and offerings. Last week we looked at prayer. Now you're probably not surprised, won't be surprised to hear that prayer is the the most commanded Christian practice in all of Scripture. But you might be surprised to hear what the second most commanded Christian practice is. Singing. Next to prayer, singing is commanded more than any other Christian practice in the whole of the Bible. Did you even realize that God commands us to sing? We read through it a lot. We sing it a lot. We go, oh, there's that word song or sing. But that he commands us. He calls us. He calls you. He calls me. He calls us to be singers. To sing songs of salvation. Now the song is mentioned in the book of Psalms alone over a hundred times. And you may know that Psalms is actually the the song book of the, the Hebrew people of the early church. Very much a part of our song book today. In fact, if you were paying attention to your order of worship this morning, you may have noticed that each of the scripture passages came from Psalms. But why do we sing? You know, on the one hand, it is one of the oddest, most peculiar things that we do as people. Some even think it weird. On the other hand, it is one of the most wonderful, one of the most naturally human things that we do. Because through song, we often express what with spoken, just merely spoken words, we are unable to articulate. Something that is so far beyond us that we just can't quite put it in words. And so that is why God has gifted us with song. Now, I realize that some of you sound good when you sing. Others of us, not so much. I would include myself in that camp. I was, in fact, I was talking to a woman just the other day, and she was at BSF Bible Study Fellowship. A bunch of moms and kids were gathered together to study God's Word, and as part of their worship, they were singing. And she told me how she was just enjoying entering into the praise of God until she noticed the little boy sitting beside her who had a grimace on his face and his hands over his ears, and he said, Lady, could you stop singing? (laughs) 
Okay, hey, some of us are messy eaters, and that doesn't keep us from eating. So some of us are bad singers, at least in our ears. But that's no reason to not sing. But a sermon on singing. I've already seen some of the bewildered looks out there. You looked ahead in the order of worship and you said, it looks like the sermon is on song. And this week I've gotten that look over and over. So what, what element of worship are we looking at this week? Singing? Really? You could do a sermon on singing? Well, I'm going to try. One Reformed theologian put it this way. He said, If you do not learn how to, how important it is to sing God's praises regularly with others and to listen to God's praises sung, then you will actually not be changed by the gospel. Okay, that statement made a few of us a little uncomfortable. Uh, it was a radical statement when I first heard him say it. But then I realized that this radical statement is based on the biblical understanding that singing is not simply for entertainment, as most of us see it today. It is not simply icing on the cake for those who like icing. But this radical statement, this radical thought, comes from the biblical understanding that singing is more profoundly an act of worship and a Christian practice to help us grow in grace. And so today I hope that we will see the renewing nature of songs of salvation. And our text this morning is Psalm 33, verses 1 to 5. You already have it in front of you because you just flip your order of worship over. That was our call to worship. Psalm 33. If you're going to use the Pew Bible, it's found on page 463. But let's take a moment to pray and ask God to open His Word to us this morning. Our gracious God, our Master and our King, our Lord, our Savior, we do pray that you would open us this morning to your word. That you would open your word to us. That you would penetrate our hearts. Because Lord, we can't muster it up. We can't make ourselves believe and enter into the truths that you speak. But we know that your voice speaks and even sings life into us. And so would you call us forth this morning once again to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So hear God's word from Psalm 33, verses 1 to 5. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Well, this morning I want us to consider the purpose of song, the power of song, and the perfection of song. Its purpose, its power, its perfection. 
And so let's start with the purpose of song. Now, simply put, as I've already said, we are commanded to sing. Song that is skillful, done with excellence. A song that is joyful, it comes from the heart. Song that is praise, it is directed toward God. Now, throughout the Bible, we see that the purpose of song in the Christian life is threefold. And that purpose is to glorify God, to clarify the gospel within the heart of the believer, and to edify Christ's body, the church. Now, I I know I don't have to convince you of this first part, that through song we are to, to glorify God. I think most of you are well aware of that, and we see it in the first three verses of our psalm. We are to shout for joy in the Lord. We are to praise His name. We are to give thanks to Him. We are to sing to Him a new song. And in doing so, to glorify Him. Now, as we've said from up front a few times during the sermon series, worship is about what we love. What we give our affections to. Now, I know we are here to worship our God and King, our Savior. But I want to encourage us for a moment to think about some lesser loves. Now, I say lesser not in a a degrading way, but rather to put all other loves in their proper place. Because there's love of spouse, love of parents, love of children, love of siblings, love of friends, all good things. But I want to take you back a little bit. To think, to think back, that, that special love may be known as your first love. Your high school sweetheart, or if the feeling wasn't mutual, your high school love interest. <laughs> now, I know for some of you, you're like, look, I married my high school sweetheart. Was Kathy, there's Kathy and Wayne. I mean, they got married at 18 and 19. So, Justin, you're 18, aren't you? <laughs> All right. We'll get, we'll get that wedding on the calendar after the service. But, you know, there are love songs from those days, whether you grew up in the 40s or the 50s or the 60s or the 70s or the 80s or the 90s, or you're just out of high school in the 2000s. There are those love songs. And you remember them, love songs that, in a sense, glorified another, that special someone, the object of your affection. Love songs that praised your love for his or her many wonderful attributes. Elevated him or her above all others, where we sang and we declared, I have eyes only for you. Well, what about our songs to our God, these songs of salvation? You see, similarly, but much more profoundly, one of the primary ways that we express our delight in our affection toward God is to sing praise to him. To praise Him for His character. To praise Him for His work. Verses 4 and 5. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. You see, skillful, joyful song and praise to the Lord is rooted in God's word. Rooted in God's word through which we know his character. Here, that he is upright, faithful, righteousness, he, uh, righteous, just, and steadfast. Through God's word. 
His word through which he accomplishes his work, particularly creation and redemption. And our songs celebrate who God is and what God does. Now, does that rule out lamentation and confession? Does that mean that when we come together as God's people, we are supposed to just suck it up and leave all those problems outside the door and come in and pretend we're somewhere where we're not? No, we are to bring the lamentation. We are to bring the confession. But these songs of salvation set them in their proper context. The context, the redemptive context of the steadfast love of the Lord. So first and foremost, our singing is to bring glory to God. And in glorifying God through song, something else happens. The purpose of song is also to clarify, excuse me, clarify the gospel within our hearts. Verse 32 of Psalm 119 declares this. The psalmist says, I will run in the way of your commandments, O Lord, when you enlarge my heart. O Lord, when you enlarge my heart, when you open my heart, and you fill it with your goodness, with your mercy, with your grace, when you fill it, I will run, I will delight, I will find joy in your will in your ways, in your word. And so through song, God enlarges our hearts. That the word of Christ would dwell richly in us. That the gospel might be more deeply rooted in us. And we'll touch on this truth a bit more in just a moment. But first, back to those high school love songs. For my day, high school in the 1980s, the group for me was Chicago... Uh, anything Peter Cetera, and then when he teamed up with Amy Grant, I mean, that just put the Christian stamp on it, so I was set. Okay, but I won't press, push my songs on you. You've got your own. And you remember those moments when that song came on the radio. It just lifted you like nothing else. It enlarged your heart. It moved you. Well, what about when we sing God's praises? When we sing God's praises, it can shake the mountains. We just sang about that a few minutes ago. When we sing God's praises, it can move us so much more deeply and profoundly like nothing else. Like those high school love songs never could do. Because they always left us wanting. When we sing... God's praises. There's something else that happens. Because you see, the purpose of song is not just to work in us as individuals, personally, which it very much does, but it's to work in us as a people. The purpose of song, additionally, is to edify the church, to encourage, to build up the body of Christ. Just this past spring and and throughout the summer, we were in the book of Exodus. And the Israelites, by their great deliverer, are brought through the Red Sea. And what's the first thing they do? Exodus 15. After crossing the Red Sea, the Hebrew people sang 
to their deliverer. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided us by your strength to your holy abode. Through song, the people of God are encouraged and built up as together, as together with one voice, as Paul would later say in Romans, as with one voice, we sing praises to our God. Okay, that's the purpose of song. Now let's look at the power of song. And to some degree, we've already seen the power of song in, in relationships through the cheesy illustration of high school love songs. So we, we see, and I don't think I have to convince you of this either, that there is power in song to influence relationships. Also in song, there is power to influence culture. The Nazis thought that if they could capture the nation's music, then they could control the culture. And they thought that if they controlled the culture, then they would control their country. And they were right. Song is a powerful influence on culture. But there's something much more profound than that. In song, there is power to influence hearts. To spiritually transform hearts with the gospel. Again, from Psalm 119. And it's a long psalm, believe me, the longest one we've got. In Psalm 19, the psalmist says this. And this struck me the other day. He said, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have stored up your word. It is here in my heart, transforming my heart in such a way that I choose to follow you rather than sin against you. Now, we know that we fall into sin and we confess that, but we're also growing in grace and learning to follow him in trusting obedience. But I was sitting there thinking, I have stored up your word in my heart. How has he done it? Now, there are many ways that the psalmist has done it, but the one that struck me was this. He goes on to say, your word has become my song in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. Your word, your law, your statutes, your commands, they have become my song. I have sung them. They have been sung into me. And at night, at night when it is dark, when I am most vulnerable, when I am tempted to sin, your song arises in my heart. And speaks the truth of your word. And I keep your law. I remember your name in the night. You see, song makes God's word more vivid for us. It doesn't add to his word. But it enlightens us by the power of God's spirit. It opens to this vividness that wasn't there before. 
Through song, God's word is also made more memorable. We remember the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel, through the gift of song, which our God commands us to sing. And that he also sings back into our hearts. According to Colossians 3.16, song is one of the primary ways that the word of Christ will dwell in us richly and will deeply penetrate our hearts. Now, how does this relate to you and me? Maybe you related with the, the psalmist in Psalm 119. But I was thinking, especially at a time when we're in military conflict and when we pray week after week, uh, for the safety of the soldiers of this church family. And it made me remember stories that I've heard from POWs before. Maybe you've heard them as well, prisoners of war. Very similar to Paul and Silas in Acts 16. But when they have been taken captive, and it is dark, and it is lonely, and they don't know what to do, and all of a sudden, they remember God's word. They remember it through song. And maybe it has dwelled up within them. It is overflowing because it's a song they remember singing on bass at chapel. For many of them, the story is that they remember those songs they began to sing as children. The songs of God's word, God's truth. And their hearts, as they tell it, were transformed from fear to faith. Even prison guards that could not help but be affected by the song. Some of them even coming to faith in Jesus Christ through the singing soldiers that they were holding prisoner. So there is power in song to move hearts. But wait a minute, camper. That's starting to sound a little too experiential, a little little too emotive, too emotional, too, too much about the heart. And so I know I'm pushing us a little bit in this, especially as those of us that are good Presbyterians. I remember Brandon, I think it was in the first sermon in this series, said, sometimes for us, we think that if I have come and I've had a good thought, then I have worshipped. But song helps connect the word of God very much from our head to our heart. Because the gospel is about changing our hearts. Not just what we think, and we want to think rightly about God. But also how our character, how our whole being is transformed in the way we live, in the way that God speaks into our hearts. So shouldn't we be moved in our hearts by the gospel so much more so than we were ever moved by those high school love songs? When we sing God's praises. Now it doesn't always feel that way. But the gospel is at work in us. It's at work even when we don't feel it. Just like those POWs. Those moments when they could sense no hope. And God touched them by reminding them of his word dwelling deeply with them. You see, God's word, the gospel, is to be experienced as well as expressed. Now, does experience come first or does expression come first? Do we sing Because we're transformed by the gospel? Or are we transformed by the gospel because we sing? Yes. It's both. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He writes, 
I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. The delight is incomplete until we give it expression. And so it is in our love relationship with God, our Lord and Savior. And so we sing songs of salvation, praising God through the gift of singing, that our delight in Him may grow toward completion. Completion. And that leads to our last point. We've looked at the purpose of song, the power of song. Finally, let's consider the perfection of song. You see, song stirs things up within us. And most of all, when it really has a hold of our hearts, God's Spirit, through song, stirs up in us anticipation. Anticipation of the day when Jesus will return. Anticipation of the day when Jesus will make all things right. Don't you long for that day? In your brokenness, don't you yearn to know the fullness of your deliverance and healing? In faith, don't you desire for the completion of the song? Song stirs up in us anticipation of the day when Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things will have passed away. And God's people will sing a new song. Song stirs up in us anticipation of the day when we will fully hear the song of our singing Savior. Yes, a singing Savior. Did you realize that our God not only calls us to be singers, but He too is a singer? And I remember when I first encountered Him as such, it was... In Zephaniah 3.17, realizing that God rejoices over those that He has delivered. He rejoices over us with singing. And then the writer of Hebrews also gives us a glimpse. A glimpse of what the singing Savior is doing now and also what He will continue to do when He returns. So we'll turn for just a, a moment. You don't have to turn there, but in Hebrews 2. The writer says this, We see Jesus who is crowned with glory and honor because He suffered death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. We see the author of our salvation who is not ashamed to call us brothers and who says, verse 12, I will tell of your name, O God, to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Now, what is Jesus singing here? He's singing from the songbook of Psalms. Psalm 22. Do you remember that the last time that Jesus sang 
from Psalm 22. On the cross, the first verse, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My hands have been nailed, my side is pierced, my my clothes are being distributed. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, when Jesus died for our sin, when he died for those who would put their faith in him, in trust in that finished work. But the cry of darkness isn't how the song ends. Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King, and here we see Hebrews 2, our brother will lead us, his family, in singing his praise. Jesus again, I will tell of your name, O God, to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, in the midst of God's people, I will sing your praise. Now there's something important here to see. And it came, it was very helpful this week as someone was helping me think through this. And it made me think of my brother. I have a, a younger brother, he's a professional singer, or rather a professional actor who loves to sing, uh, musical theater, voiceovers, that type of thing, lives in New York City where there are a lot of great voices. And it is one thing to be in a worship service like this and to stand to sing and to have Matt right next to me. I can hear the beauty of his voice, but I can also hear kind of the puny wimpiness of my voice. But it's another thing when Matthew stands behind me and is singing God's praises. Because all of a sudden, his voice just rushes through me. And my puny, flawed voice gets caught up in his and lifted up in beauty. And that's a picture of the gospel. You see, as one commentator puts it, Not only when God looks at me does he see the beauty of Jesus, but also when God listens to me, he hears the voice of Jesus. The beautiful one who stands in the congregation and leads us in song and sings through us that our lives, that our voices might be beautiful to the Father. Now, you know that in a moment we will stand again to sing. And Jesus, by his spirit, will sing through us. And when Jesus returns to make all things right, our broken lives, our broken voices will be fully restored in Jesus. And the song will be made perfect. Our Lord calls us to sing. Yes, he definitely calls us to sing on on the Lord's day at a gathering like this. But he also calls us to, to sing throughout the week. To make melody in our heart. To sing with our mouths. To open them up. Singing in our homes, in our cars, while we're taking walks. And when we stand in a moment, we're going to do something a little different. Don't worry too much. Not that different. But we're going to sing two songs. And if you're anything like me, sometimes you can come and you you just get in the rhythm. I'm here, it's Sunday, I get up, I go through my routine, and I just come and do that thing that I'm supposed to do because I say I follow Jesus. 
But do we come as expectant people that He will meet us? And now, do we come as expectant people that His voice will join with our voices? That He will speak the gospel more deeply into our hearts? So we're going to sing two songs. And And I say that because I want to remind us that that's not just simply the way that we close our service. But as it says, every week in, in, the, in the order of worship, it's a way that we respond to God's renewal of our hearts. And so, brothers and sisters, sing. Sing. Believe more fully. Be transformed. Be built up as God's people. Praise the singing Savior. And anticipate the grand symphony to come when the singing Savior returns and the song is made perfect. Please pray with me. O Lord, the one who has sung salvation into our lives, we thank you for the work that you did securing our salvation on the cross. And how you work that truth, you apply it to our lives by your Spirit. That we might sing praises to you. Lord, would you convince us more and more of your truth. Not simply so that we would sing, but so that we would believe. And as prayed earlier, Lord, we do believe. But help our unbelief. That we would sing to you a new song. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.